My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to eat money for money. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on, on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen. I do. You already did this bit two episodes ago. I don't ago. care. <laughs> Get a new bit, Chris. I don't. I believe last time I said, I don't. This is a totally new bit. All these Hollywood reboots thinking that they're new and fresh. <laughs> oh, God. But if you want to hear these, the rating system, like Chris does... Listen to our intro episode. Okay, cool. I'll go do that. Or wait until the end of this episode where we'll discuss them again. Oh, well, then why did you tell me to go listen to the intro episode? Because I want more views on the intro episode. The one where we just do the like... And by views, I mean listens. <laughs> the one where we don't even talk about an episode? Well, that's, that's the, one, the that... one you want listens on? <laughs> well, that's the one that people like. Because <laughs> we, we don't shit on Burn Notice in that episode. <laughs> In that episode, we like Burn Notice. <laughs> For that if one you want shining us, episode. If you want us to like Burn Notice, go listen to the intro episode where we don't watch Burn Notice. Yeah. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. Also, Richard Schiff. If you know Richard Schiff, get in touch. Not for the podcast, just for just, per- us. just for personal reasons. Yeah. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. So this episode is the panels of an episode of season one. It's episode 11 called Dead Drop on Hulu, but Loose Ends Part 1 on IMDb. That's what it's called on Amazon, too. That's crazy. Yeah. And even Wikipedia is like, this episode's called different things. Depends on the person. Right. So I don't know what to do with that information, but there it is. Uh, It originally aired September 20th, 2007, and was written by Craig O'Neill and Jason Tracy. These writers also wrote the the Fiona is a Bounty Hunter episode, which we really enjoyed. Exactly. So good for them. Uh, And it was directed by Jeremiah Chechik, who directed eight total episodes of Burn Notice, as well as some Chuck and Gossip Girl. Chechek's out. I quit. (laughs) I've been playing around with puns more recently. Have you noticed that? How are you feeling about that? It doesn't not feel that. right for my personality. No, it doesn't. You shouldn't know. Like, I, it's not what you should be doing. Well, fuck you, because I'm a strong, independent woman who can do whatever I want. Matt Nix disagrees. I defy expectations. So the IMDb description of this episode reads, Philip Cowan has arrived in Miami, but Michael has to put him off when a job involving heroin and blackmail goes south. Uh, so we open on Michael doing crunches shirtless in, like, an up position. So he's, like... Whenever he he goes down from his, like, crunchy position, he's, like, upside down looking at his door. Oh, yeah. He's, like... And this is important. He's in a... Basically hanging like a bat. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing, like, hanging crunches. Yes. Shirtless. And he looks great. Uh, And he hears the door open. And so he does a downward crunch and pulls a gun upside down on the person entering his apartment. But it's just Sam with a comically large, not KFC, fried chicken bucket. Um, and it's a very, uh, like, badass move, and it's also delightful because for the next two or three lines, Sam is shot upside down. Yeah. Which is very Sam and Pat of them. Yeah. Uh, They stole it from us. They stole it from us ten years ago. 
And um, we made a web series called Salmon Powder Depressed. You should watch it. You should listen to the intro episode where we talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> you remember you liked that one. Yeah, that's the one that you liked. Um, Sam explains that the reason he's here is because Veronica keeps. I like how in your notes you refer to the chicken bucket as a non denominational chicken bucket. Yeah, it's a non denominational fried chicken bucket. It's very large. And Sam is complaining that Veronica is telling him to watch his cholesterol and uh, he doesn't want to. So And Michael is very angry about trans fats. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, Mike, Michael's giving him shit for like how gross his bucket of wings is. Yeah. And then there's this delightful little scene where they're both um it's like one of those continuous shots that they do that I love so much where they're both standing in Michael's kitchen and Michael is like sweating and shirtless, eating a yogurt and he eats a yogurt. And Sam is like hunched over uh his fried chicken bucket. And there's this m- wonderful moment where they both, like, stop mid-bite and look at each other. And it's one of those, like, oh, this is what happens to you when you eat these two different foods. Yeah. It's just, it's a cute little bro moment. Cute, yeah. But then there's no judgment. They just go back to eating their respective there's, foods. There's some judgment. I mean, there's some judgment before that. But after that, it's like, yeah. I think the man gets it. No, I mean, Michael keeps, even later, keeps harping on the chicken. Well, because Sam has the chicken for the next, like, five scenes. <laughs> Does he really? He has it. I tracked the chicken. Okay, good. So, um, so as they're talking, uh, another old seal buddy of Sam's has a job for them, but Michael's too busy. So Sam's like, that's fine. I'll go it alone. And then Michael gets a text. Cowan wants to meet. So finally, Philip Cowan, the man who burned Michael, has gotten in touch because as we knew from last episode, he has come to Miami. They head to the meeting point where Cowan told him to be. Michael is standing just like in the middle of a giant sidewalk area, like a psycho, which is the most suspicious place to just be standing in a suit looking around at people. And Sam sits by the car eating his chicken. So Sam has taken his chicken to a secondary location. I mean, it's a big bucket of chicken. It's a very big bucket of chicken and... I'll be damned if he doesn't eat every last finger licking bite. Oh, uh, you is... can't you can't say that. <laughs> this is not it's KFC a, chicken. This is non-denominational chicken, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is not finger licking. <laughs> um, it's finger slurping. <laughs> it's finger slurping good. <laughs> oh. Yuck. Ooh. Uh so Cowan is late, he hasn't showed up, but Michael's like, I know he's watching me. I can feel it. I always feel like somebody's watching me. Somebody's watching me. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a song? That, yes, that's why I said it. Oh, cool. Um, you know, because Michael Jackson sings the chorus of that song, it is not credited anywhere. It's crazy. And I don't know if you've listened to the verses of that song. I have not. Um, but it's bonkers. It sounds like Do- Donald Glover doing a character. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Well, wait for our next podcast. Donald Chris, Glover does a character. Chris explains songs to me that I've never listened to. Yes. Um, Chris mansplains music. So, yeah. uh, so Michael's like, I know he's here somewhere. And he looks around and he sees a, a building that I'm pretty sure says Hollywood Bread on it. Mm-hmm. Just the Hollywood Bread building. You yeah. know, classic Miami uh, architecture. Exactly. The that landmark. Trademark. Yeah. yeah. Like so, you always, uh, anytime you're giving, instru- like, driving instructions anywhere in Miami. You're like, okay, at this point, you're going to come up to Hollywood Bread. I'm going to make a left at Hollywood Bread. <laughs> and then you're going to wave goodbye because it's a great building. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he looks at the Hollywood Bread building and is like, if I was watching me, that's where I'd be. And yeah. So then he runs up to the roof. Atop Hollywood Bread. Atop Hollywood Bread. Um, and he finds uh, not Philip Cowan, but a cheesy like Hallmark card with a poem about new friends and how great it is to have new friends. 
And I like to imagine that because it's insane for Michael to just run up to one place and immediately be right, that there is a card just like this oh, on yes. every single rooftop. There definitely is. So that, like, no matter what, Michael would feel like a special boy. You know what's crazy about this? What? That eventually we briefly meet Phil Callan, and nothing about his personality suggests this. Like, he just seems really annoyed and off-put by, like, everything, and... Like, I remember how a few weeks ago we had the assassin that was, like, being a bureaucrat. But also, Philip Callan feels kind of like a bureaucrat. And it feels weird that he's doing all these, like, jokery bits. And, like, it seems like a thing that a crazy person would do. Well, I think, so, spoilers for the end of the episode. I think the idea is meant to be that, like, Philip Cowan thinks that Michael is trying to kill him. So he's trying to, like, put Michael off guard and, like, make it kind of, make him work for it. And also, as Michael is, like, solving his little mysteries, figure out, like what kind of dude he is. I mean, that's possible, but there's no reason why it would be so, like, kitschy and jokey with, like, the cards and stuff. Yeah, no, that part is definitely just, like, the writers thought it would be fun and spy-like. Exactly, but it doesn't jive with the character at all. Mm-mm. I would I would uh, go as far as to say that Philip Cowan doesn't jive. No. Anyway, so also inside this cheesy card is a newspaper clipping about a Belgrade weapons depot getting destroyed. Cool. We learn more about that in the next scene. Uh, But then Michael looks off the roof of the building down to the ground and sees Toby Ziegler with a shit-ending grin. Uh Toby Ziegler then points to Sam, still eating his chicken, Uh uh, and then, like, wags a finger at him. Basically, like, next time, you come alone. Yeah. Uh, And from now on, I refuse to refer to this character as Philo Cowan. He is Toby Ziegler. Played by Richard Schiff. Doesn't matter. He's Toby Ziegler canonically in this episode. Yes. Uh, so back at the loft, the team discusses Toby. So that that was that was the end of the cold open. Yeah. How do we feel about this cold open? I like how much chicken there is. There's a lot of <laughs> There's chicken. a lot of Sam eating chicken. There is a yogurt. There's a yogurt. There is a there is, shirtless Jeffrey Donovan, which I'm Richard, very into. There is Richard Schiff. He is wearing a shirt. Yeah, I mean, I'm not thrilled about it, but yeah. I'll allow uh, it. And yeah, I mean, like, again, the cards thing is kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. But like it would be good for another character. It would be. You know who, who it would have been good for? Lucy Lawless. Fuck, that would have been good. Yeah. I can, and it would be like super like flowery. Like it would be embarrassing for Michael to be seen holding this card. Exactly. And she would make him go somewhere in public for it. Yeah, too. because she's emasculating him. Exactly. Um, but yeah, like it's a fine like. I will say, like, the spy stuff in this episode is fun. Like, I like the code that that Toby Ziegler decides to use mm-hmm. on Michael. Like, I think that that's interesting. Like, using yeah. his own history yeah. to, to, like, make up a spy thing. Um, but overall, this episode is fine. Uh, so anyway, so the team discusses Toby. Michael tries to figure out what kind of code, because he hasn't figured out the code yet. He's just like, there's a weird card and a newspaper clipping, a clipping from Belgrade. Uh, all I know is that, like, that was definitely me. This dude clearly knows, like, my history. So there's got to be something in my history that he's using as, like, a code so that I can, like, actually meet up with this dude. Uh, Sam and Fee crack some jokes, and then Sam heads out to meet their client of the week because, as we've already established, Michael's too busy. He has to sit in a room and think. Yeah. Uh, and also, Michael hates working. So, yeah. <laughs> of course, he's not going to do the case of the week. Uh, so then, But he wants his job back so bad. Exactly. Well, that's the only job he will do. Yeah. Dress and do the, jo- the job that you want, Chris. Yeah. Not the job that you currently have and is your only way of making money. Yeah. Uh, so, Sam... I mean, Burn Notice doesn't dress. <laughs> Sam goes to meet Jillian. Jillian is a supervisor at a business called SXG or SFG? It's, it's unclear. Is it X? Okay. That's what the... 
so. captions told me. Oh, I don't ever have captions on. I can't be bothered. But yeah, so she works at this business where they build like planes, satellites, weapon systems. Basically, they do government contracts. Yeah. So they have like pretty high security clearance. And her coworker, Melissa, who has an abusive husband, was having an affair. But because this is kind of an important company, yeah. you have to sign in guests. Uh, but only if you have like a particular security clearance, yeah. which uh, Jillian is the only one that has that. Yeah. So Jillian did her a solid and signed in the boyfriend. Her, the boyfriend that she's having an affair with. Yeah. So she she helped with the affair by signing this dude in. Unfortunately. Oh, look, we're double dipping on abuse. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's like the theme of Burn Notice. Yeah. Because like we, you know, people are being abused. Michael Weston has to step in because he was also abused. Exactly. Uh, but unfortunately, the boyfriend wasn't just there for some nookie. He stole files. He took photos of himself and Melissa in the building to like, you know, what's the word? Blackmail? Well, no, no, no. Like, implicate. Like, like to implicate her in his crimes. Basically, he starts blackmailing her, and what he has, what he blackmails them into doing is to sign for mysterious packages and then smuggle them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now both Melissa and so Jillian are implicated. Early in customers this. of the mysterious package company. Yeah. Oh God, we can't get into that right now. I'm yes. still in flashbacks. PTSD flashbacks. Uh, and so uh, Melissa, or and so they is that video on YouTube? Yeah. It's called the cursed object. Oh, uh, we should link, like link to, we'll talk. We're talking about it now, which gives us an excuse to link to it. Yeah, and to, on Twitter. It was also featured on TVWriter.com. Exactly. For no reason, Larry just needs content. Uh, Anyways, uh, so basically, it's drugs. The packages are drugs, heroin specifically. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Campbell has this moment where he's also being kind of condescending. It's like, well, it's from somewhere, so it's probably heroin. And Jillian's like. Okay. Yeah, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm doing an illegal thing because my idiot co-worker's yeah. shitty boyfriend is, like, blackmailing us. Yeah. yeah. I'm a man, though, and I know about this stuff, so it's probably heroin. <laughs> cool. So then they go meet to Melissa, who... Uh, it never matters that it's heroin. <laughs> no, it, it literally never matters. Uh, so they cut to Melissa, who actually doesn't want Sam's help. Melissa is the one with the abusive husband. She just wants to put everything behind her, which is a crazy thing to say, given that it's very much in front of them. They have to continue smuggling drugs. You can't put behind you a thing that is currently happening to you. That doesn't make sense. It's almost as if someone is not on the up and up. That can't be right. No. Um, But their conversation is cut short when her husband comes home. We're also, like, double dipping on abuse is actually a ruse. So the conversation is cut short when the husband, who is allegedly abusive, comes home. So Sam is like, that's fine. I'll figure out where Dave, the blackmailing boyfriend, is. Uh, That'll be our lead, and I'll figure it out, even if Melissa doesn't want our help. So Michael arrives at his mom's house, who, uh, because his mom called him in a panic, because Toby Ziegler called her and was, like, really cryptic and weird, and she was, like, freaked out. Notably, she is much more freaked out by this guy calling than two government agents coming into her home and asking her lots of personal questions about her son eight episodes ago. Is it possible that part of this is that since then someone has broken into her house with like multiple gun guys and then held her at gunpoint. That's fair. You know what? I'll give her that. But yeah, so Madeline is very scared because Toby, Toby Ziegler called her. And as we know, Toby Ziegler can be a little pushy. Uh-huh. And uh, we then Nate gets there because it turns out she's also called Nate because who you want in a crisis is Nate Weston. Madeline is also called Nate mm-hmm. because of the thing. Not, he didn't call. Sorry. Anyway. No. Yeah. Madeline has called both the boys. Yeah. Um, and... Then they basically this this is a nothing scene except for the fact that Madeline just yells at him for not like telling her about his job and he's like I never tell you about my job yeah. the status quo has not changed and then Nate's like no bro you should tell us about your job and he's like fuck you no but also here's a gun protect mom yeah I'm a spy 
It's illegal. Yeah. No, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. The family stuff is done so poorly when it could be so rich and interesting. We've yeah. seen Madeline do rich and interesting things. We've seen good scenes with these people. They just don't want to give it to us. We've seen good scenes with Madeline. Yeah, that's true. Fuck Nate. But yeah, so the end of that scene, Michael gives Nate a gun. Terrible idea and tells him to keep an eye on the house. Uh, cut to a scene with Sam and Fee, which starts with Sam giving Fee an awkward, unreturned hug as she walks up. So Fee agrees to work on the case with him, uh, whether or not that's what he meant, and um, quotes him at like an exorbitant price for her help. This is a good running gag. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good running gag where Fee's like, my hourly is 500 upfront expenses and an hourly rate. Sam is like, well, you don't charge Mike that. And she's like, I expect other things from Michael. We all know what those other things are. <laughs> I don't have to go into it. Fake shoes. So back to Michael. He has figured out that the way... Michael Weston only buys real Manola Blahniks like that. <laughs> um, so back in, in Michael's plot line, he has figured out that the way Toby Ziegler is communicating is by mirroring things that Michael did as a spy in the location indicated by the note. So in this case, he gave him a newspaper clipping about Belgrade. So Michael needs to follow his own steps from his mission in Belgrade. Uh, so in this case, the, the, the thing that he needs to find is a person called a cutout or just a random person who has nothing to do with the case, who's reading a very particular travel guide. And that's like the person who's going to give him uh, a dead drop, a, like a note for the next location. This sounds fake. It does sound a little fake. I don't know. I kind of liked it that it's like, you don't want to be there yourself. So you just pay a random person to like hang out and wait for, you know. In, like in place of you, mm -hmm. as if a cardboard cutout, I assume is the, the reason it's that. Mm-hmm. But it, it sounds like fake. I mean, I'm, we can ask Michael Wilson. Uh, maybe it's real. I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was nice. You yeah. know. I mean, like the concept is good. I mean, specifically the word cut. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes that they say things are named certain things, and I'm like, are you sure? That yeah. sounds fake. But anyway, that sounds like a that sounds like a fun term that Michael Wilson came up with that no one else uses. <laughs> yeah, it's like what his like... it's it's his like great con. He never actually worked for the CIA. He's just like a compulsive liar. Yeah. Or even maybe even if he did work at the CIA, but also just had cute names for everything. It's like, yeah, when spies need new IDs, they're called false flags. And it's just like, oh, yeah, and Matt Nix is writing this down furiously. Like, yes, false flag. Like, cut up. That's great. That's great. Great stuff, Michael Wilson. And that's all just bullshit. I do like that headcanon. Uh, anyways, so uh, what he gets from this cutout is a new cheesy card with the same font as the first card, implying that it comes in a set. How lucky that this set of greeting cards is so specific to this situation. They should have used a different font is all I'm saying. I mean, it's is lazy. there anything in, written inside the card? Uh, on the first one, there's a poem about friendship. But like... The second one, there's nothing written inside the card, like from the card company. It, yeah. He just writes like, see you soon inside of it. Yeah, okay. Uh, but in addition to see you soon in this new cheesy card is uh, a newspaper clipping about a terrorist killed in Budapest, which will be the next clue for where Michael should meet this dude. Uh, See, then, I thought it made sense that they all have the same font because the the implication that someone would go through all the work of this weird Baroque and cheesy plan, like, of course all the cards match. Like, it, I can't imagine him being lazy and skimping on the cards. Well, no, wait, so hang on. Are you saying that you think that he got these cards made special? I'm not even necessarily saying that the cards were made special. I'm just saying that, like, I believe that there's, like, a set of cards. I believe... Like, but they're the, the two cards have nothing to do with each other. But like, 
they can all be like they can be made by the same company that has like a certain aesthetic or something. Or maybe he did make them special. I believe I believe any of that because this is an absurd scenario that like again doesn't make sense for Toby Ziegler as a character. Um, nor does it really make sense as like a because I thing. like to imagine that Toby Ziegler is at like a CVS like planning for this little charade, and he's just like going from like greeting card to greeting card, like looking through like all right, what's gonna what's on brand for me right now, and just like finding random greeting cards that he can use for this little thing. Now I'm thinking that there is a shop, but I, I don't know. I'm just saying that like it's a very distinctive font, and the fact that it's used in two totally th- different cards. Do you think he has an intern that made them all? I mean, I also like that. I'm just saying I want to know more about this whole cards issue. Do you think, like, he has an intern and he's always making this intern do all of this Weird dumb arts and crafts. Bullshit, all these dumb arts and craft bullshits. And let me just say, that intern was very happy to find out that he died. <laughs> Spoiler for the end of the episode. Uh, but so not much happens there except for that Michael gets the next clue to his his meeting. I do like this uh, this one guy who comes on for this. Like, he's just like, ah, whatever, man. Someone told me to buy some shit. I like this. I like this actor. The, the cutout. You yeah, like the cutout. this cutout? Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. Um, he, so then we cut to a gay bar. Apparently, this is where Melissa met her eventual blackmailer, which is weird because Melissa identifies as female. And this is a gay bar for gay guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, who is it? Uh, yeah, Fee and Sam. Yeah, so this is, we're back on the Fee and Sam yeah. case of the week. And, like, Fee and Sam feel very weird being in the gay bar. Mm-hmm. And Fiona kind of looks around, and Sam's like, well, how do you think we should handle this? And Fiona's like, looks like the ball is in your court, which uh-huh. is very funny. Yeah. And Bruce Campbell's like, I. And so he tries to blend in while showing the bartender a photo of the blackmailer by saying, how about them dolphins, huh? Because, haha, gay guys don't like sports. Yeah. Um, but in spite, of, in spite of this rocky start, Sam learns that the blackmailer's name is actually Ray Wagner, a known hustler and he gets his address yeah it's apparently some drinks yeah i think somebody bought him a drink but also i do think it's funny in shows not just burn notice but like lots of procedurals where like they'll go to a bar where they know someone hangs out and not only will the people know who this random patron is but they will also know his home address yeah how do all these people know ray wagoner's home address yeah no that's bizarre i have no reason why that anyone should know that well maybe I mean, he is a known hustler, and he's apparently broken, quote, a lot of hearts in this bar. So it's bar. possible that someone at the bar... Like, went home with him at one exactly point. Exactly, and knows the address. That's sort of plausible. But also, why would you remember the address? I don't remember your address, and I helped you move into it. To be fair, we live in the future, and we have cell phones, and we keep everything in there. And so, like, perhaps in the Wild West days of 2007... They had, like, a Rolodex where they write down all their hookups. I In 2007, I had barely gotten a GPS for my car. Whatever. Even then, though, like, but when I didn't have a GPS, when I was, like, driving in, like, 2007, 2008, when I finally could drive, um, because I'm so young, and uh, I didn't know people's addresses. I just knew vaguely what things looked like. So I knew, like, the directions to get there, but I didn't know the the ultimate address. I just knew, based on landmarks, where I was going, and then I'm like, that's the house that's theirs. I don't know what the number is, but it's right there. So even back then, I didn't know the addresses of things. It depends. I think if someone gives you an address, then you remember the address. And the, uh, not me. Well, you're a specific person, and maybe other people are different from you. That doesn't seem right. Continue. That, that doesn't check out. 
Continue. <laughs> so we, uh, before we go to the next scene where we meet Ray Wagner, how do you think the name Wagner is spelled? I want everyone at home to think in their head. Wagner is a name. People, famous people have this last name. It is a name. I'm going to recuse myself because I watched the episode with subtitles. Sure. But everyone at home, think of how you'd spell Ray Wagner. We'll wait. Don't Google it, though. Yep. Googling is cheating. So anyway, so we go to the house, and Sam goes around back, and he's almost assailed by someone who is, in lower thirds, introduced as Ray Wagoner. Like wagon and er. Yeah, it's very weird. The most bizarre spelling of Wagoner is not a name. Wagner is a name. There should be no O in this name. Yet again, another person with a W last name that's spelled stupid, Michael Weston. You're not bitter at all. I'm not bitter. It's so... No. Why? It's just such a random detail. And math. Wagner is already a name. Do you think he's named after a specific Wagner? Wagner is not a thing. I'm... Wagoner is not a thing. I'm certain that someone is named Wagoner. Like yeah, that. and there's somebody who's descended from, like, an old Western person who's like, Maybe. you're Taylor, you're, what you're, a, you're Tinker, and you're, you're Wagoner. You're Baker. Yeah, you're Baker and you're Wagoner. Yeah. It's, you, you drive that wagon. Y'all are killing me, is all I'm saying with these fucking names. Anyways, so Ray is confounded by the accusations of blackmail. It turns out Melissa was the one who insisted on taking all the photos that they'd taken around her, like, place of employment and that the photos weren't taken just by the two of them but by her husband and he's like i mean they paid me money so if like that's what gets them off whatever ray wag wagoner seems like a pretty chill dude yeah i mean he seems like he seems like a skeevy asshole yeah but like but you know but he doesn't kink shame way ray wagoner does not kink shame and yet you name shame i do name shame because wagoner fuck off so uh twist so Jillian, the OG client, is very hurt to hear that her friend set her up, but they've got all... Because they set her up. I don't think we have ever said that explicitly. But it was implicit. It was implied. But I don't, know if, everyone, it, I don't know, know if everyone inferred it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically what has happened is that Melissa and her... Is not, uh, her Melissa not what she seems. It's not what she seems. Melissa's affair was fake... Uh, her husband's not really abusive. Her and her husband are running this drug running scam, but they needed a reason for Jillian to like help them out with it. Yeah. So they played on her pity and got her involved. Um, but no worries, even though Jillian's very hurt by this, the gang's got a new plan. They're going to get close to the husband and set up a blackmailing scheme of their own, which is pretty par for the course for Bernadette. Yeah. Send Michael in to exactly. like get close to a crime guy as his own crime guy, yeah. and then set up the first crime but guy. It has, but Michael has not been involved in, up to this point, but they have to use Michael now. Because he's because Jillian they, has met yes, Sam. And Fee, I think. I don't think she's met Fee yet. Oh. And Fee, but Fee can't do it because she's a woman. Yeah, and no one would believe a woman is a crime woman. No, exactly. A lady boss? How <laughs> progressive! Yeah, we already had one lady boss, and she got blown up. <laughs> By an old you man. You can't be like a bad lady and not die. Yeah, not on this show. Nope. Uh, anyways, so they cut to Michael predictably fixing the charger. He did blow it up in the last episode. He did. Sam asks... There's him, a weird thing. In fact, this episode in general, I feel like a lot of scenes start with something just bonkers. Like, at the beginning of this scene, like, he's fixing the charger. And, like, the scene starts with this shot, like, from inside the car 
where he's taking like painters tape, like blue painters tape, just like off the middle of the. No, it's off the windshield because he off just because we because his windshield gets broken later in the episode. But why he, would? Because he was just fixing the windshield. But why would there be painters tape on it? And why would it be there? I have no idea. Like, no, it just seems like this looks like he's fixing a car, and it's like a shot of him like pulling away the painters tape. The painters the tape. Yeah, just because it's like a cool looking shot. But like, what was he doing? Well, yeah. Like what? It doesn't make any sense. As we know, Michael Weston is not good at fixing yeah. this car. So, no. <laughs> anyway, so Michael is fixing this car, and Sam is like, "We got, you, we need you to join our case. Fiona can't be a crime lady because nobody takes her seriously. Yeah. But you are a crime man, or could pretend to be a crime man. Yeah. Can you please help us?" Michael is uh, like, "No, thank you." And then Sam's like, "Please," and Michael's like, "All right, fine." Uh, and then he also makes a joke about like, "What's my fee for this job?" Yeah, this and is Sam's like, "Not again." Uh, Michael ends the scene by trying to shut the hood of the charger and it won't shut straight because the car is a shit car and Michael Weston is bad at fixing things. Yeah, this is also very good. It's like a little gag. There's a lot of good gags in this episode. There's some okay gags. Having seen some very good gags in earlier episodes... I mean, I think there's good gags in this episode. I think, like, this this runner about, like, the pay is good, um, the fucking up with the car is good. I think there's good gags in this episode. There are fine gags in this episode. Yeah. I will give you fine but yeah, so he, he tries, he, he does not fix the charger. He's a dumbass. Anyways, meanwhile, at the gun range, Michael is wearing an army green t-shirt and is leaning up against a truck with a Marine sticker on it. Just chilling. Turns out it's Kent's truck. Kent is Melissa's husband, uh-huh. who is actually not abusive, just a crime man. Did you want to say something? I was going to make another snap judgment based on appearances, but I'm not going to. I do that too much on this show. <laughs> So, um, with an indistinguishable and extremely thick accent, Michael introduces himself as a former My- Green Beret named Rod Buxy. There is a... Oh, that's very good. That's <laughs> a very good name. I want to say really quickly, though, the way this scene starts... And again, I feel like every single scene has a weird thing that's happening at the beginning. As uh, Ken walks into the scene, he's on the phone, and he's like, talking. He's like, no, there's just some weird charger here. Like, I don't know whose it is. Now there's this guy said it like it's such a weird thing. Like I don't know who he's talking to, but it's just like he seems very annoyed that the charger is there. It's such a bizarre scene. But anyways, so Rod Buxy, uh, <laughs> former Green Beret, extremely thick Southern-ish accent. Yeah. He's just like generic every, hick. Every man in the military has a Southern accent. Yeah, exactly. Especially crime men. Yeah. Um, but Rod Buxy wants in on this SXG smuggling thing. After some tough talk, Kent agrees to think about it. The only thing of note here is that when Kent is walking up, having this conversation on his phone, Michael uh, is like, nice phone. Is that a razor? Which is a great introduction to this accent, and yeah. also a great way of dating this episode. It is. Remember when you liked the Razor? The Razor phone. The Razor phone. Yeah. And it matters later, but like yeah. only a little bit. It could yeah. be any fucking phone. But, but yeah, it is like the fact that it's a Razor. Nice is phone. Is that a Razor? Remember yeah. when Razors were all the rage? <laughs> God damn it. Two thousand seven. All right. Uh, so. Uh, cuts to a scene of Fee and Sam on a steak up where Fiona on is a steak, eating. Wait, on a, on a steak up? A steak up. A steak up? Steak up sounds like a place where you can go to get like steak burgers or something. Let's get a steak up. Steak up doesn't sound bad. No, oh, I, I get like a, a shake and like some fries at a steak up. Okay, anyways. And uh, this is another weird opening scene too. Another opening thing too. Yeah, so, so Fee and Sam are on a steak out where Fiona is eating a chip by just, like, eating the edges of it, like a rabbit. Yeah, she's, like, nibbling on the chip. 
I will say, as a child, I think I did this too. Oh, I'm sure you did. Um, you seem like the type. Yeah. But yeah, she's just like nibbling around the edges of the chip. And Sam's trying to talk to her and she's just like ignoring him eating the chip. And he's like, what am I paying you for? Yeah, but he never acknowledges it either. Like, it's the, I feel like there's a whole lot of stuff in this episode that is not acknowledged. It just We just live in the weirdness of it. Which I will admit, I do enjoy. Yes. <laughs> I think these writers are just a little bit weirder than the other ones. I do. I think so, too. And I think that's why I like them. Yeah. Uh, so they're, um, Sam is planting a bug in another raise of phone, uh, which might be a connection. Although, do you wonder if that was in the script or that was just a choice that Gabrielle and War made? Uh, the, the, oh, the, the chip chips. eating? Yeah, I, I have no idea. Either version is good. Either version is good. But so whilst Fiona eats her weird chip, her chip weirdly, uh, Sam is planting a, a bug and a raise a phone and they wait for Kent to go on a run before going to see Melissa and Sam pretends that the investigation has stalled to keep her busy while Fee goes in and swaps the raises. Yeah. So that basically she she puts uh, the original SIM card into the new bugged razor phone yeah. so that they can like spy on them. Exactly. Uh, and also Sam kind of keeps up appearances of like, I'm really sorry. I couldn't find Dave. I so don't know what's don't, happening. So they don't come after Sam because they think that the case is stalled. Yeah. So like Sam's not a threat because yeah. he's like, I don't know what's happening. I'm just an old man. Yeah. So uh, Michael listens to their new bug alone in his loft in the dark, as always, Yeah. Uh, when Nate and Madeline come crashing in. Madeline is furious, understandably, that he gave Nate a gun because apparently it was just like laying around or something. Nate's like, I'm sorry, I tried to. And like Michael is like screaming at him and Nate's like, I'm you know what she's like, (laughs) which is fair. And it's also evidence that he should not have given Nate a gun. Yeah, no, he should definitely not have given Nate a gun. Never give Nate anything. No. He should have taken Jason Bly up on his offer to put him in jail. Yes. Madeline and Michael have a serious talk where Madeline says some vaguely hurtful things and Michael's like, please leave. Yeah. Not a lot happens here. Once again, it's a scene, an explosive scene with the family where nothing happens except for to solidify that they're all really tense and unhappy yeah. with one another. Uh, the next day, Michael drives the miraculously fixed charger to go meet with Kent. Who well, pulled- they put the tape on it and they took it off. Yeah. Well, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't have driven. Uh, so he meets, he, he goes to meet with Kent as Rod Buxy or whatever the hell his alias his name is, who pulls a gun on him and asks who specifically told Michael about their smuggling operation, which is a very fair question that they should have, they should have expected him to ask. Yeah. He, the fact that Michael does not have an answer for this is ridiculous. He didn't like, and he just, he gets really bad about lying. Mm-hmm. This stalls awkwardly. Michael Weston, the man who decided on a snap judgment that the Paco was a teetotaler. <laughs> Paco was a straight edge. Yeah. But he can't come up with a generic Marine's name to get this dude off his back. Yeah. It was cra- it was a crazy moment. I was like, now I'm kind of on Kent's side. Because yeah. I'm like, Kent, good job. That's exactly the question you should have asked. Exactly. And the yeah, it's just absurd. Yeah, it's very stupid. So, uh, but Michael, because he can do no wrong, even though he's shit in this scene, disarms him. And Sam gives him some covering fire from a rooftop nearby as Michael makes his escape. But then Kent shoots at him a little bit and puts a crack in Michael's windshield. And Michael's like, oh, I just put painter's tape on that. <laughs> Oh, that's a poor car. I guess he needs to go get more painter's tape. Yes. Uh, back at the loft, they regroup with Jillian while listening to Kent and Melissa via the bug and the razor. They're still planning on going through the next shipment, and Jillian has to pretend like everything's okay so that Michael and the gang can catch them in the act. 
Uh, this is just another like exposition planning yeah. scene. Nothing really happens. Uh, then uh, we cut to the the night of the del- the smuggling, where Sam is sitting in his car outside the office while Smuggler's G- Eve. Smuggler's Eve, yeah. Well, not even Eve because it's the night of the smuggling. It's it's Smuggler's Day. Oh, but it's the Eve though. It's the, it, it is happening in the Eve. But Smuggler's Eve implies that the next day is Smuggler's Day. That's true, but Smuggler's Eve sounds so much better. Regardless of what you call it, the smuggling is happening tonight. And so Sam is staking out the place and uh, he gets bored and tries to sex his girlfriend. But it turns out there's no service. And so he's like, oh, dang it. Cell phone scramblers. And And then he doesn't do anything about it. He does. Well, it's like, what are you going to do? There's no cell. Well, but like, that's suspicious. Maybe go somewhere where the cell phone accesses. Well, he knows why. Because like, it's like a government. Like, I, or it's like a. Oh, I I guess I assumed that he thought that it was the smugglers doing it. No, I think he assumed that like, oh, this is like cell phone jamming because of like the area that they're in. Or like, I don't know. That was the way that I got it. But he just gave up. I did. Again, it starts with the sexting. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, it's just another scene that starts with a weird energy. Like, every scene in this episode starts with a weird energy. Yeah, it's very off-putting. I don't understand it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it really doesn't. Um, so then we cut briefly to Fiona back on the couch. So she's just at home. I guess Sam doesn't want to pay her day rate. So she's just chilling on her couch listening to the bug. And she overhears that the bad guys have planted a bomb in Jillian's car. But when Fiona tries to get through to Sam to let him know that, like, Jillian should not get in her car, uh, the cell phone stamps, so she can't yeah. get through to him. So she calls Michael instead, who is at the meeting place where he's going to finally meet Toby, Toby Ziegler. But because Michael Weston is such a good guy, he abandons this meeting to go save the girl. Because who else is going to save the girl but Michael Weston? Of course. I feel like I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but now that I think about it, it might just be my memory of it. But was it night where... No, it was daytime What? Where... Right now, everything is daytime. This okay. will be important in a second. Okay. But yeah, it's broad daylight as all of this stuff is going down. And so Michael uh, hurriedly leaves a note, John 316, on the sidewalk. Yes. Which, the way that that like, clue comes out seems very convenient. It's incredibly convenient. In a way that like honestly undercuts how cool the spy game has been up to this point. Yeah. Like, I like the, the little kitschy spy clues that Toby Ziegler has been leaving for him. Like, they're actually interesting and, like, rooted in history. Exactly. And, like, you know, they make sense. But... And then, like, Michael sort of says, like, yeah, this is kind of a... This is a gamble. Like, he thinks of it in a hurry. And he's like, oh, I hope this works. But how convenient that a church is on, what, 3 and 16th or whatever. Like, it's some church... Well, he was supposed to go to the a payphone... At St. John's at 316. Yeah. But like also, yeah. There's probably at least multiple St. John's. St. John's is a pretty common like saint. Saint, yeah. Yeah. It's also like a very famous Bible verse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It could mean anything. It's very, I'm mad about it. It happens too fast to make that much sense. Yeah. Like, but, as someone who's, like, grew up in sort of, like, evangelical Christianity, like, that's, like, kind of burned in my brain. So I thought it was it was supposed to be something about the verse, and I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Yeah, no, but it's way dumber than that. Michael can't read. No. So uh, now it's suddenly nighttime, but finally Sam, uh, Michael and Fee get to Sam and are like, hey, Sam, shit's bad. We gotta, yeah. like, handle this. So um, Michael heads off with a floor mat while Sam and Fee distract the guard at the entrance. So Sam, f- introducing himself for the first time as Chuck Finley, acts like they're trying to get... Because he's lower in- class than Charles. Finley. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the first time we see old Chuck come out. Yeah. 
Uh, and he's basically like, oh, yeah, we got a reservation at eight. And so it's like this whole gambit where, like, they're trying to get into a restaurant with yeah, him but, and his lady friend. Except but this is not a restaurant. No, it is not. In, in fact, it is a government facility where there yes. are cell phone cameras. Exactly. <laughs> but they basically distract him long enough for Michael to, like, scale the the barbed wire fence with the floor mat. Yeah. Um, good use of floor mat. It was. It's too bad he didn't have a spy tip overlay. Otherwise, yeah. that would have been a very good spy tip. Exactly. But it's not. It's not. So it doesn't count. Can I say, thinking about this, is it possibly suggesting an inherent flaw of the show that because if i were writing this episode i i would be like i don't need to write that hey it's a good idea if you're climbing a fence that has that has fucking um barbed Barbed wire wire on it that you should use a car mat or something to cover the barbed wire obviously that's what that's what's happening this voiceover would be redundant but is the idea that there's supposed to be spy tips and well certainly our podcast does not exist during the time that they were writing this show and could not influence it in any way. But is it possible that like our need for having these spy tips spelled out in the voiceover is selecting for like a bad writing habits? Well, only if you ignore an episode a few episodes ago where we allowed spy tips that like the payoff was in the scene and not the voiceover. Exactly, but this like was a cool spy thing that happened without any voiceover. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not necessarily what I'm not. I'm not saying that we should change our system. What I'm saying is that perhaps our system highlights um, a sort of inherent tension between the things that make this show work and the things that make drama work in general. I don't think it's they're mutually exclusive. Okay. Anyway, so Michael, so we know that the husband is nearby because as this is all happening. Uh, Melissa comes out of the building with the heroine yeah. and she signs out and everything and she gets picked up by her husband. Meanwhile, Michael in broad nighttime is like scaling a fence. <laughs> so even though the guard doesn't see him, uh, he's just like out there alone. Yeah. Then uh, Melissa and Kent basically like go around the corner to keep an eye on the parking lot because they want to make sure that the bomb goes off. Michael Weston walks up to the car and goes underneath it. No one sees this. No one sees this at all. Then like in like a very tense moment, like Jillian is walking up to her car because no one can obviously get in touch with her. And Michael is underneath the car trying to desperately to disarm the bomb. Exactly. And he doesn't know where the bomb is on the car. And like, yeah, so he's just sort of rooting around under there. But eventually just in the next time he gets it and she drives off, leaving him just in the parking spot where these two people are like watching studiously, but they, they're just like, oh man, the bomb must not have gone off. But there's literally a man in the parking spot where the explosion was just supposed to be. Yeah. Like, like under the car, she like, Drove away and he was just there. Yeah. It seemed, but okay, I will say when she drove away, he seemed to be under a different car. It's possible that he rolled under a different car. I don't think he did. I think he was just in the street. No, because like, I feel like I never saw, I feel like I never saw a shot of him like in open air. I feel like, I feel like he was. Uh, Th- this is important to how dumb this scene was. So I'm going to look it up really quick. I will also th- say another dumb thing about this is that at no point does he go, hey, Jillian, don't turn your car on. Yeah, he. well, I mean, they're, they're trying not to, like, draw attention to them. But I feel like it would be so easy to just be like, hey, psst, don't look. It's me, Michael. No, don't look. Don't look. You're being watched. I know. It's hard. But don't start your car. There is a bomb attached. So we, we watched the tape, and it's inconclusive, but there's definitely a conversation to be had about whether or not he rolled under a different car. Yeah, and it's... They definitely have direct sight line to the car. Yeah. It is not dark enough with, like, the lit 
parking lot. Yeah, she just start. She pulls away. She starts moving away, and Melissa just looks away immediately, like, "Oh, nothing to see here anymore." I gotta, like, complain to my husband. And then she looks back. Michael is definitely fully there. The fact that no one sees Michael at any point of this whole scene doesn't make any sense. It's very irritating. It is very irritating. Um, Anyways, the next day, they tell Jillian what just happened, and they're like, you should leave town for a little bit. Maybe go to Disney World. They didn't say that, but that's, like, the way that they... That's what they do, yeah. That's what they do. They send people out of town. They're secretly working for Disney World. They get kickbacks. Uh, So by the time... it, pretty soon, we're all going to be working for Disney. Yeah. By the time Jillian gets back, they'll have it taken care of. They're still looking to catch Kent and Melissa in the act to get them to back off. Um, but Michael still needs to meet with Toby, so Fee and Sam will finish off the case of the week. They're like, thanks for your help, Mike. Go do you. Fee isn't thrilled that Michael's going in alone, but more so she's mad that he keeps saying that he wants to go back in the spy game when he's doing so much good with her on the ground here in Miami. And she makes the good point of, why do you want to work for these people? They're trying to kill you. Yeah. And she also makes the good point because he's like, well, I want to, you know, I used to do good. And she's like, you're doing good here. He almost certainly is doing much more good here than he ever did working for the U.S. government. Yeah. Local politics are almost 100% of the time more effective than federal politics. I mean, yes. So. Also just like the, like the intelligence community and CIA just often do just like patently evil things. Not in Madam Secretary. We're not watching Madam Secretary. I am right now. That's my thing of the week. Anyways, Sam and Fee go to catch Kent and Melissa in the act. Let's do some behind the scenes here. Let's like brass tacks. We had a recording problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're having to record some of this over. The first time I did this, I did a hilarious, hilarious bit about how white Kent and Melissa are. And, yeah, and I definitely wouldn't have cut it out. For sure. Exactly. You cut out everything fun in this show. (laughs) This show is so much more fun before she comes. It's not. It just doesn't. It's rambly and it doesn't make any sense. That's what, that's what good podcasting is. No, it's, the bit's got to be cleaner. Oh, like, uh, this is a loose show. This is a loose rambly show. We cannot have an hour and a half long podcast, Chris. No one will listen to that. I regularly listen to like two hours long But it's not a good hour and a half long podcast. That I will grant you. <laughs> it's an okay hour-long podcast. I yeah, but you can like cut all the boring plot bits and keep the weird stuff. No, because Tony needs to know what happens. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, Sam uh, Fiona is on the high ground with like a long-distance mic to like listen to the conversation. Sam's on the low ground in his car taking photos, and basically the entire plot of the case of the week boils down to we're going to take pictures of them selling heroin, and yeah. then that'll be it. We'll take care of it from there. Michael, in the meantime, goes to John 316, uh, St. John's Church at 316. Yeah. And gets a call from Toby. And he's like, that was cute. uh, But I'm actually back where we first met. And Michael's like, oh, well, that's like a mile away from here. And Toby's like, yeah, well, you have 10 minutes or I walk. So you better run fast. And so then we have this actually very good, like, tense scene where Michael is, like, running through the streets of Miami and, like, up into a parking garage. Yeah, it's to really the, well shot. To the Hollywood like, Bread building. Yeah, and, like, the intercutting is really good. There's a lot of tension in this sort of climax. And it's it's well, it's a well shot, like, running sequence. And it's intercut with Kent and Melissa getting, like, more and more aggravated that their drug contacts haven't shown up yet. Like, yeah. they're really late. So Kent and Melissa are like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Like, we're just going to drive away with the heroin. And so they get in their car and it is suddenly missiled. Yeah, it's just fucking blown up by, like, anti-aircraft gun. Yeah, I think, or a I think it, yeah, or it's like a shoulder-mounted like yeah, hand missile. Exactly. I don't know. It's very big and they are dead for sure. They're 100% dead. And Sam's it's car so gets much, like rattled. 
overkill. Yeah, it's extremely overkill. It's extremely, extremely overkill. I don't know what it is meant to prove. Yeah, I don't either. Well, but we do know that immediately after this happens, Sam is dragged from his car by men with guns yeah. who like are presumably the men who killed Kent and Melissa. Like, and like is, Fee is like gets all this like noise feedback in her like microphone that she was listening to. Mm-hmm. So Sam is dragged away by unknown assailants and then up on the bridge, Fiona is starting to get chased by guys with, with guns. So she starts to run away, but then she's flanked on the other side by more guys with guns. So she basically ditches her microphone and jumps into the river. Yeah. And it's very good. And she's just like, fuck you guys, I'm out. Uh, yeah. And so she makes an escape, but barely. So Michael finally makes it to the roof just in the nick of time, only to be greeted in person by none other than White House uh, Communications Director Toby Siegler. Yeah. Toby- I mean, we've seen him before now. Yeah, but this is the first time they're meeting face to face. Yeah. Toby but thinks, they've seen each other's faces. But, like, they're not on the same plane. They're on the... They're, they're not on a plane. They're on the roof. Toby thinks that Michael is trying to kill him. And Michael's like, what are you talking about? You're trying to kill me. You send an assassin. And Toby's like, well, that's fair. I definitely did send an yeah. assassin. But that's only because you sent me a Libyan fruit basket, and I thought you were trying to kill me. Yeah. And so they, uh, they have this short conversation where Toby's basically like, Wait, you really think that it's just me? I'm just this one guy who's, like, orchestrated this whole thing? It's so much bigger than you imagine. Like, your burn notice is just the beginning. Uh, But then before Toby Ziegler can give him too much information, he is shot through the heart. And Michael's to blame. (laughs) We can both get there at the same time. We can can finish at the same time. Yeah. It's rare. (laughs) It's rare, but, I mean, that's that's how you know you got chemistry. Yeah. Uh, And Michael is, like genuinely shaken by this like michael like runs to like the edge of the roof to see you know police cars driving up way too fast so obviously they were called ahead of time and he like calls his brother to come pick him up but this is the first time i think i've ever seen michael weston look like this genuinely shaken like he almost like his eyes are red he like looks like really upset yeah which is crazy because he just met this guy he had like a 10 second conversation with this dude and then he died the thing about it is and i feel like people have been shot in front of michael before the thing is that for us, this is huge because it's also happening at the same time that all this other stuff is happening. And, like, we've never seen, like, Sam and Fee and, like, other people fail this bad before, it feels like. Like, because this is the first, like, cliffhanger of the show, really, at this point. So, like, everyone is failing in a major way that we haven't seen before. And so Michael has to ha- have the tenor of, like, oh, no, Things are really bad. But he doesn't actually know that yet. No, he really doesn't. He's just, like, so shaken. But it's like, Michael, you've been set up before. You had, like, a false flag before ah, of, like, what's going on. Like, it's just one more dead bureaucrat that you didn't get any good information out of. I don't know. But, like, he's, like, so upset. And it feels so out of character for him. Especially given what information he knows at this point. Yeah. So, uh, somehow, despite the police pulling up, Michael gets away scot-free. Nate picks him up. I'm sure he just jumps off the roof. Mm -hmm. Because unlike Lucy Lawless, I guess he has, like, titanium knees. Exactly. Uh, So, Nate drives Michael home, and they chat for a little bit, and Michael's like, you know, you need to get Mom out of town. Like, you and Mom need to take a vacation to Disney World. Yes. Um, you guys need to get out of here. And and while they're while they're talking, Michael's just sort of like giving the once over to some construction workers nearby. Mm-hmm. But at first, apparently, he's not suspicious. He's just oh. like, oh, construction near my apartment. Yeah. But then, as they have this conversation, and as Michael is about to get out of the car to like go home, some of the construction workers yeah. kind of like look up at him, and he like closes the door, and he's like, oh, I think 
Yeah. I think something else is going on. And then he gets a call from Fee, who we get a split screen of. She's soaking wet underneath a bridge on a payphone. And it's like, Michael, they got Sam. Kent and Melissa, our garden party friends, are dead. Yeah. Like, we don't know what's happening. And and Michael's like, oh, my God, where are you? Like, we're going to come to pick you up. And she's like, I'm under this bridge. But, and then we hear, Sorry, I should clarify. The garden party friends are from the very good bit that I did that we lost, and I can't reference. That would have been cut anyway because it's not good enough. Yeah. If you were funnier, I would leave more of your stuff in. That's fair. <laughs> but basically, he's like, everyone's dead. Sam's gone. I don't know what happened to him. And then, like, we hear some cars pulling up, and she goes, they're here. And then she, like, runs away, and her side of the spit- split screen is just, like, the hanging phone from the, like... Yeah, the, from the payphone. From the payphone. It's actually kind of a nice shot. It's a very haunting shot. I wish that the shot was... I mean, I guess we do get a full screen of it, because yeah. then we get, like, the to-be-continued exactly, lower yeah. third. But, yeah, it's a very haunting shot. Oh, shit, everything is bad. Yeah, End of episode. End of episode. Good end of episode, I will say. It is. It reminds me, it's always interesting to see To Be Continued on a television show. Because, like, like, no shit, there's another episode? Well, no, but also, because it used to be, because television used to be so much less serialized, that the idea of a cliffhanger was like, oh, crazy, and, like, this story is going to keep going in the next episode. Whereas now that we live in this age of, like, Netflix serialization, we're like, Everything continues into the next episode. And, like, the fact that it used to be that we had to say shit is going to continue just so people don't get confused feels, like, almost quaint now. Yeah, that's true. It, yeah, it is. A, but even, like, generally in TV, it just feels weird to be, like, to be continued. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I know there's another episode, guys. You come out every Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's the end of the episode. So, it's fine. Definitely better than last week's episode. Definitely better than last week's episode. But I do think there was a lot of fun gags and weirdness. Yeah, there was some fun gags and weirdness, but I think just also just it, because it, it's, you know, the penultimate first half of the finale yeah. episode, it's always going to be kind of a little all over the place. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. Because there's just a lot of set pieces that need to get put in place. I do like a thing that's happening in this episode that it surprises me that this doesn't happen more in Burn Notice, wherein the ongoing Michael Burn Notice plot interacts more with the case. I feel like that seems to be the thing that the show is built to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet that almost never happens. Yeah, they're usually very separate plot lines. Exactly. Like, I can think of this scene where he has to leave the Toby Ziegler meeting and, like, the scene with, like, Jan where the assassin is going to kill Nate, like, forever ago, where that's the only time I can think of where the ongoing plot intersects with the case of the weak plot and you would think that that would be a thing like that's an automatic thing that's like a usually what happens is that michael's just like i don't want to do case of the week i have to work on burn notice stuff and they're like but michael you are burn notice come do the case of the week and he's like fine i'll do it exactly but no but it's this thing of like that's an automatic tension thing it's also just a very classic like trope of like there's two cases and the two cases get involved with each other Mm -hmm. like that's just standard and it seems weird to me that the show doesn't do that yeah no i agree that would definitely and it would also like connect things a lot better because i think that a problem that we've seen on a lot of episodes of burn notice so far have been that every just everything just seems so disconnected from each other and that's a shame because there's so many like opportunities for connections to be made like maybe there's a assassin from michael's Mm. past who knows a lot about him and you know wants to test him out and maybe shouldn't have killed herself at the end of the last episode exactly yeah for example Let's talk about spy tips. Spy tip number one. The first step to setting up a covert op is to figure out how to communicate privately. Could be a cipher or as simple as finding common shared knowledge. 
This is like a setup to what eventually is. Like yeah, uh, it, I feel like there's not enough. Here. Yeah, there's not enough there. It's like, no. hey, if you're going to do a covert op, you got to know how to communicate with each exactly. other. Exactly, it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing. Number two, the truly paranoid don't go to meetings themselves. They send a cutout, someone unrelated to them to give a signal and deliver a message. Michael's preferred signal is a tourist guide for Madison, Wisconsin, because it's low key, but also kind of out of place if you think about it. I like this one. I like this one too. And I like that it's I, Madison, Wisconsin. I, it's very specific. Yeah, um... Cut the term sounds fake, but it could be real. Yeah, the cutout is the only part of that that I'm like, are you sure that's what it's called? But yeah, yeah like in general. I'm not a spy. I can't say that it's not. Exactly. Uh, if you want to bug a cell phone wirelessly, you're going to need a lot of special. Hey, s- what number is this one? It's not number eight, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> If you want to bug a cell phone wirelessly, you're going to need a lot of special scanning equipment and a computer to deal with encryption. I prefer the direct approach. You just bug a duplicate phone and swap the SIM card so the new phone has the same number. And when you say I, you mean Bernadette's. Yeah, I was just transcribing here. Um, I mean, that seems practical. Yeah. I mean, it is. You can just swap out the SIM card and, Uh and bug the new phone. Yeah, can't anymore. Like iPhones can't do that. You can swap out a SIM card. On an iPhone? Yeah. I've never had an iPhone. Yeah, you can. You, you no. just there. It's a right there. With like the oh, SIM so card you can, right oh, there. so you can do. Like, you can do it. Like you don't have to like make Apple do it for you because no, oh. I just need a paperclip and then oh, I cool. can. I did not realize that. I can pop that Apple's, sucker out. Apple's normally very like you can't touch the inside. Like you cannot get inside those phones. Well, but it's not inside the phone. Like the SIM card is separate. So I have transferred this same SIM card from like four different phones. That's oh, how you buy like a used phone. That's fair. Yeah. I don't need to activate it or anything. I just need to put my SIM card in and it works. That's fair. But yeah, so because I can still do that, even with my very special iPhone, yeah. I'm going to call this practical. Yeah, why not? Uh, haven't, having of a course, this is 2007. Here, no one has an iPhone. Yeah, that's true. They uh, got razors. Oh, they got... Nice phone. Is that a razor? A razor. Having a gun to your head is all about timing. Knowing the right moment to make your move. That's not... Yeah. It's nothing. No. However, right after that is followed up by, if someone's holding a gun at you, best snap the trigger finger first. After that, it's mostly downhill. Trigger finger first seems like a good tip. Yeah, that seems good. Number six, whether you're protecting a client, monitoring electronic surveillance, or meeting the man who burned you, you have to be patient. In the real world, spy stuff isn't all car chases and gunfire. Mostly it's just hurry up and wait, but stay on alert because sometimes things get exciting fast. This is basically just the tip from the very first episode of Burn Notice where it's like, spycraft is boring. But like, it's also undercut by the fact Everything of the show that we're watching. That's always the tension with a thing like this where someone tries to be like, hey, actually being a spy is boring. It's not, though. It's exciting. We're watching a whole show about it. You get in a car chase like once a week. Yeah, exactly. Shut up, Burn Notice. Yeah, so Burn Notice is not only lying, but also not giving me a practical tip. Yeah. At least not one that I've learned, but not haven't learned before. And the next... Oh, it's seven. It's not yeah, eight. Yeah, no, it's it doesn't not, matter. It's no. not eight yet. Uh, number seven. It's we're almost there, though. <laughs> we're almost at number eight. <laughs> Uh, actually, number eight is not even the voiceover one. I just chose to put the barbed wire thing here because I thought it was such a oh, good Oh, we'll, we'll, okay. We'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. So number seven, it's always hard to reschedule a covert meeting. You can't exactly leave a note. I mean, I did, but yeah. you can't exactly do that. So you just have to leave behind enough to get them where you want them to go. This is nothing. It's all, yeah, it's nothing. All right. We're at number eight now. Yeah. So number eight is actually not voiceover, but like... And it was a very understated moment, but I liked it because it's like use a floor mat to get over barbed wire because it's thick enough that even with your full weight on it, the spikes won't cut through. You thought that it was so special that not only did it deserve to be a spy tip, but it deserved the number eight slot. (laughs) Yes. I don't know. I just like, I was like, oh, that's like a nice detail that they didn't, you know, make a meal of. Yeah, they didn't. You'd think they would. I know. So it doesn't count, but I just wanted to put it there. 
So well, the, no, wait. So we can't count that as a spy tip? It's it's not voiceover. And we've already established that but, it's the spy voiceover needs to have at least but then, five tips. But why are we even mentioning it? Why did you make that number eight? Well, it was a simpler time last night. <laughs> now, so the actual number eight is there's two ways to blow up a car. Use the gas in the tank or provide your own explosive. They use different ends of the car and are disarmed differently. The gas tank version tends to look like an accident, but it's less reliable. The bomb attached to the ignition is the other option. That seems pretty that kind seems, of useful. Yeah. That's a pretty good number, eight. It's a pretty, yeah, it's pretty dense. Tee up. Uh, and then using a code isn't a perfect science. Use something too simple and it'll get broken. Use something too complex and you're just talking to yourself. I'm always talking to myself. I mean, I do like the phrasing of that. Like, you're just talking to yourself. Like, yeah. that's that's like a, a fun exactly. turn of phrase for yeah. what this is, but it's but also it's a nothing. It's not yet. It's nothing. So we have one, two. Oh, we only got four. Wait, do we have four? Yeah. One, two, uh, yeah, we only got four. Four. Oh. Well. <sighs> if only the 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 mat the the car mat had been a voiceover. An actual one, yeah. All right, so it's time to rate that episode. If only they had episode. written the show slightly worse. I know. I'm sure they could have done it. All right, time to rate this episode. So the first thing to so I mean, is it an episode of television or a great episode of television? It's an episode of television. It's an um, but is it a great episode of Burn Notice? Well, uh, it needs three of the f- uh, three of four things. So first, does it use spycraft over violence to solve the weekly case? I feel like we we should be talking about doing this and then going into whether or not it's a great episode of television, because like, that's the. I feel like that's the conclusion. I feel like the conclusion is: is it a great episode of Burn Notice? Because and I think that's the tension between the two of them. <laughs> well, regardless. Uh, I don't know if the case of the week was necessarily more one or the other, but there was a lot of spycraft in this episode. There was. So I will give it a spycraft pass. Um, Two, are there at least five practical spy tips in the spy voiceover? No, just short. We Mm. had four. Um, Is there a premier distinct alias? No, there's a name. Yeah, there's a name and a Reza, which we we really did like the accent. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think it's distinct. He He couldn't even like... Get out of a situation in this alias. Yeah, that's how true. bad the alias was. Mm-hmm. He couldn't get out of it. Yeah, no, for real. He was too in character. And what was the character's name? Buxby? Uh, Ron, Bill Bixby? Rod Buxy. Rod Buxy? Yeah. Is too dumb to get out of a situation. Yeah, the only reason that Steve Remington got a pass is because Steve Remington is a great name, but also he had a card that was just his name on it. Yes. And, like, that was enough to be distinct, but nope. Rod Buxy didn't quite get us there. No. Nope. So, uh, but finally... Were Fee and Sam used well? So Fee jumped off a bridge into yeah. a lake, which is great. Sam starts this episode by eating a lot of chicken, which yeah. I liked a lot. So I would say that the side characters were used no, well. No, yeah, totally. And I feel like... Oh, and the running gag of the, like, payment. Yeah, that's really good. And just, like, Sam doing a case on his own is very fun. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. I No, I definitely like them in this episode. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Unfortunately, there's only two out of four here. Oh, it's not a great So episode. it's not a great episode of Burn Notice. I actually like this episode, though. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely... It doesn't have as high of highs as mm-hmm. some of the other ones. Like, the last episode that these guys wrote, the, yeah. um, the Bounty Hunter, Hunter one, that was, was so good. This but, was serving a bunch of different masters, and that's... Yeah. yeah, like you were saying earlier, that's kind of the problem with it. Mm-hmm. 
But um, I mean, but it was fine, and and I'm, I'm it's certainly setting up to make season two of Burn Notice like much better. Yeah. So I am excited about that. We're very excited to get to season two. But mm. yeah, that's the end of this episode. So remember, next episode is the final episode of season one of Burn Noticed and Burn Notice, the television show in USA. Mm-hmm. Unless uh, we do something else, or like, and it'll be the end of season one. We might just have like some bonus episodes. Yeah. But uh, speaking of bonus episodes, if you have a good idea for us for like what would be a fun like between seasons thing for us to do mm-hmm. um you know a game a discussion or something like that that's just slightly le- lower key than watching an episode and recapping it let us yeah. know we would love to hear your thoughts remember you can email us at burn podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on twitter at burn noticed pod but uh until next week thanks again to vincent el for our theme music you can visit his Bandcamp at vincentel.bandcamp.com I'd say something funny here, but you'd cut it. (laughs) And that is the tension.